following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show. To find out more, contact us and contribute towards a positive future. We're in, uh, we're in Badger State Forest with members of South East Forest Rescue. We've just come across our first... first what is this place? Um, this is compartment 2084 of Badger State Forest. What is this place? This place is probably like a war scene. Just devastation. It's, you know, it's been logged, it's been bulldozed, and then it's been burnt. Mm. So looking around me, I can see a whole lot of, uh, whole lot of chunks and logs and... Very big logs. I think there was quite a lot of old growth in this compartment. Yeah, really big logs and, uh... Is this the waste that they take to the chip mill? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. This is the waste they leave behind. This is actually waste. What they call waste to the chip mill is whole logs because the chipper, the actual machine that does the wood chipping, can't take uh, crowns and bark and leaves and branches. It can only take whole logs. They call it waste so they can get around some legislation, but it's not actually waste. To you and I, it's perfectly good wood that we could use for housing or, um, you know, anything really. Yeah, so I guess um, between us and the road, there's about 50 to 100 metres of just cleared area that's got some sort of... What's this stuff underfoot? This is this is bark. They pull the, the, the mechanical harvester, strips the bark off the trees... Um, because, I, like, I don't know if I mentioned it, but the chipper can't handle bark either. So they have to strip the bark off. So this is bark and, you know, basically debris. That Loggers call it slash. Mm, so, yeah, it's clear fell and, yeah, there's huge logs everywhere. And there's also this small rocky outcrop. Now, this probably was a small rocky outcrop and probably would have fitted the definitions in the... Integrated forestry operations approvals, they're the regulations that loggers have to follow. Um, and this would have been a small rocky outcrop that would have been joined along there, I'd say, and joined to those rocks on the right. Um, when I say small rocky outcrop, I'm looking at rocks possibly 10 metres high. That's not how they define it, they define it by the area. So whether it's over 0.1 of a hectare or not. So but I, I believe that this would have been a a small rocky outcrop and they're not allowed to log around it even, not let alone on it. Um, it you know, should have had an exclusion zone, um, but I'm looking at crowns of trees smashed on big rocks and then burnt. Um, the reason why rocky outcrops are important is because they have, you know, their own ecological, um, you know, they, they are an ecology un onto themselves. They have to be kept moist because the fungi and the moss that live on the rocks and the reptiles and the flora that live on the rocks um, are temperature dependent. If the temperature gets too hot, if it dries out, the, you know, the um, environment dies. So that's why they're not allowed to be logged. Mm, okay, well let's have another look around and see what else we can find. Mm. So, as you can see, these trees they've marked up, um, you know, have been burnt through at the bottom and what happens um, in logging is that they log and then they burn uh, for some reason, which we're not quite sure of as yet, but allege that it's to hide the evidence. Um, 
and of course you know when you make a fire the more you mound with sticks and bark the hotter the fire is and of course once a compartment or forest has been logged the burns are really hot and you can see that by these these habitat trees it's just, so that is a breach of the integrated forestry operations approvals right yeah i mean you can see just looking around it's like a bushfire's been through bushfires they don't burn that like you know that's because the um logs are pushed up against the trees and the crowns and they're everywhere um you get 10 times hotter they've been up there too yeah, this whole compartment probably. So now Tony's GPSing. Oh, yeah, well, let's go over and have yeah, a chat with Tony, see what he's doing. Fine example of what not to do. Right, so we're here in the uh, in the middle of the uh, the ex bonfire. Yes. <laughs> and you're looking at what? What do you got here, Tony? Well, this is a retained tree that they retained during the last logging event, because you can tell that depends on the side here they've spray painted paint yeah, and half of the H is burnt off yes because it's um they've come along and torched the zone there's a whole lot of uh, half burnt branches underneath us okay. under our feet debris and the base of the tree oh yeah look at that the fire has scorched up at least a third of the way of the tree up in, and really look quite hot around the bottom so these H trees do get in the prescriptions that they log under, they're supposed to be um, removed of debris for around five metres around each tree so that this sort of burning event doesn't occur. But obviously they weren't on the game in this instance. <laughs> well, yeah, every tree in here that I've seen with an H on it is burnt at least as high as this. Yeah. So this is also, uh, do you reckon this has been structurally damaged, this one? It's got a big uh, big hole down the bottom here, which yeah. is seriously blackened, and it's uh, yeah, it's yeah. got like the bed of an old campfire in the bottom of it. Yeah, it's been in an impromptu chimney. Like a cooking pit or something in there. It doesn't do them any good, these trees. It'll yeah. make it deteriorate quicker. So, um... So what what would have been here? We were looking around. It's fairly uh, it's fairly open. If I uh, if I if it wasn't a, a cloudy day, I reckon I'd be getting sunburned here. There's plenty of plenty of sun getting into the ground. Yeah, um, they aim to remove 50% of the canopy from each of these compartments they're logging around the southern area these days. So yeah, it does open it up. So 50% of the canopy. There's I can see a couple of tree ferns around. Do you reckon there'll be here for much longer? Yeah, um, at least they did, if they're not dozed over then they might have a bit of a chance because yeah the canopy will recover over time. And yeah. I think yeah if going back to my, my green building sort of now it's about one kilowatt of energy or one bar radiator for people who used to have bar radiators in their bathroom for every square meter of window so they've opened up a huge window in yeah. the canopy here and uh, I can see a whole lot of wood on the ground that probably wouldn't have been there and, and this will all dry out. Do you reckon opening up the canopy by 50% might increase the bushfire risk? What happens after a forest is logged? Um, not only does it increase the bushfire risk, but um, it, it, just by them burning it, 
makes it drier. So if there was, say now, a wildfire came through, um, it would be a huge hot fire. Um, just, you know, the bark scattered on the, you know, on the ground and the, the crowns of the trees, all the leaves everywhere. And, um, yeah, it would be, it would be devastating. Well, they don't appear to have burned anything at all in here. No, this hasn't been burnt yet. You reckon they're likely to come back and light it up? Oh, absolutely. So you can see here, well, this is an example of uh, pre-burn logging. You can see the debris around these habitat trees right up to their bases and up their trunks. So, you know, obviously when they burn, uh, these habitat trees will burn. Yeah, yeah, it's like uh, like a little bonfire on some of them. Yeah, yeah, well, that's right. And, um, you know, I have heard loggers refer to some trees as witches, I think. They had a W in front of it. Uh, <laughs> to burn upon the stake. Yeah, that's right. Oh, look at that poor little tree fern. Oh, that's sad. Good on you, little tree fern. Hang in there. RTA have started using a helicopter technique where they they chain up a tree to remove it and um, lift it out of the forest with a helicopter. Right, so that that would, work. That would avoid all of these uh, <coughs> big gouges and <laughs> would avoid. It's made a real mess of the ground. Oh well, oh Scotty, Dred, you don't understand. This is replanting. This is how Forest New South Wales say they regenerate the forest because, um, oh look, there's a breach. How unusual. Um, this is how they say they regenerate the forest. They dig it up with their bulldozer because, I know, people are a bit confused. They tend to put out propaganda that looks like they're replanting a forest. Forest New South Wales do not replant and, in fact, this is how they say they regenerate the forest by digging it up with their bulldozer. Right, and I guess uh, the logic of that is that the soil disturbance allows the seeds to germinate? Oh, absolutely. And then, of course, there is that uh, <laughs> ecological myth that you burn a forest and those seeds germinate. So, right, well, that, uh, is that true for every seed? No, obviously not. Some seeds in some native plants can tolerate and, in fact, like smoke for them to germinate, but, you know... Not every single species. And, you know, what happens once they log, it becomes a monoculture. You know, certain trees will come up, like up the road, the white ash will come up. Mm. Mm, and I can see other, other old stumps here that are all grey. Yeah. What are they from? They would have been from a past logging event. Along here, I'd say. How old do you reckon uh, they'd be? Oh. This one's even got a little shoot growing out of it. Yeah, go, go little tree, go. Um, Which has been snapped off. I, I couldn't tell you the exact... 25 years ago. What? 25 years ago. 25 years ago it was logged, this section. Um, so, yeah, that probably would have been marked up as a habitat tree 25 years ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> but if they had a bothered marking, they would have marked that up and then 
Of course, the paint would have faded away. But logging rotation times have shortened much, much shorter now than they were then. Forest New South Wales say their logging rotation times are between five and 20 years now. Five so, years? Mm. Five years. What would it do to a forest to log it twice in five years? I know if a bushfire comes through in a certain period of time twice, then the seeds are lost and stuff like that. Mm. Well, that's our point. The forests aren't regenerating. Or at least not regenerating. Like some forests are maybe slowly regenerating, but not at the rate that they should be and certainly not the way they should be. So, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's really devastating for a forest to be logged that often. Even, you know, it's devastating once, let alone once 25 years' time, or 15, or 5. Mm. Mm. They keep up this frequency. Habitat trees. They keep up this frequency. They have the few habitat trees that we can see at the edge of this logging area will be next. And then it's well on the way to being a de facto plantation. For a native forest to be converted to a plantation, in, involves a lot of soil erosion, it'll be a lot of water will, will go out of the landscape, it'll be a skinny dry regrowth eucalypt forest and chances are there'll be a, a burning cycle that'll be quite frequent after that. So it will turn from a moist wet old growth fire resistant forest to a dry young dry sclerophyll uh, bushfire prone area and if you keep doing that in every um, ridge and valley the landscape will be patchworked with uh, kindling for a megafire. Yeah well we've seen that uh, in a number of places haven't we? That's the problem really at a landscape level with this kind of industrial logging. The logging industry is going to have to face up to the legacy of their, uh, their style of uh, highly mechanised logging. Another way to think about these wet um, forests with a closed canopy are they're like a green dam of water and it's got a parallel with the movement in the agricultural industry to retain more water in the landscape for having better productivity for farmers. Well, it's the same situation with a natural forest. If you start damaging the hydrological cycle, um, you're in a downward spiral of, of losing water, less um, dynamic natural processes, less um, species um, can survive, and more bushfire will, will set in. A further interesting note on the water aspect of where we are right now, this logging is taking place in what's actually the Greater Murray-Darling Basin, because that's the Great Dividing Range on Badger Forest Road, and we're west of that, and this is all off down to South Australia now. So we're right at the top of one part of the catchment of the Murray-Darling River catchment system, which you know um, you hear a lot of noise about, saying how we need to look after it, <laughs> and then they come and do this to it. Yeah, so the water values are badly damaged. Yeah. So here we've got an archery. When the habitat tree dies, this one's going to take over. And that's, of course, if it, the paint doesn't peel off and they log it next time. An R tree. Well, this um, 
this tree's actually got a trunk that's split of about two thirds down the uh, down the trunk. Yeah. How long do you think it will um, survive there? Well, who knows? Who knows? I mean, well, it, it, it might. Burned. It hasn't been burnt. No. Amazing. So it's a survivor. You're getting two for the price of one. And you get, you get two trees for the price of one. It's opposite socks. It's lovely. <laughs> um, yeah, its crown is a little poor. You know, I've seen worse. I've seen sticks with R's on them. Yes, with a lot of uh, heartwood exposed to the outside air, which yeah, is a, uh, heartwood exposed. a good recipe for rotting in a tree. Mm, I would say so. But then we recently got a letter back saying that, oh, well, they've left enough trees, so it doesn't matter about that particular tree. But nowhere in the Integrated Forestry Operations approvals does it say that unmarked trees count for retention. Do you understand what I mean? No. Okay, so they have to have to retain a certain amount of habitat trees, and for every habitat tree, theoretically, they have to retain two R trees. Oh, look. Now, we're walking through rock that's been crushed and destroyed. So this would have been a small rocky outcrop as well. Yeah, we're sort of on a, on a uh, sort of high point, a little ridge in the landscape. Yeah. Anyway, where was I? They have to leave a certain amount of habitat trees and then for every habitat tree, one or two retained trees. Um, and there's a certain amount that they have to leave per hectare. Uh, so nowhere in their regulations does it say that they can count in that, you know, 10 trees, say, per two hectares, um, trees that they haven't marked up. Otherwise they wouldn't mark up, would they? And they just leave them. Now you're looking interested in this tree. It's well, about I what, what I'm what I'm seeing is the top of a tree lying on the top of another tree, and it's uh, it's about half a meter across. Um, what's that? A brown barrel? I think it is a brown barrel. Let's go and have a look at the Let's end go of that. And have a look at the end of it. It's, it's got a uh, what they call a pipe. Right, we're climbing. It, which was what I would call a hollow. Climbing through the stuff a tree's here. Hollow. Oh yeah, yep. Yeah, there's a big hole up the middle of it, which is probably big enough to fit a small wombat in if wombats did that sort of thing. Yeah. Now, you can see along its trunk, and I can particularly see up there, a hollow. Everyone knows trees are homes for animals, but in particular, habitat trees have hollows. It takes between 80 to 100 years for a eucalypt to form hollows. Takes a long time. Um, and this would have been an oldish tree. And I would state that it's a habitat tree. And I believe that if you fall a tree with hollows in it, that's a breach. So I'm gonna take a photo of it. Taking a photo, bit of documentary evidence. So what's... Hey. I'm, I'm wading through sticks and leaves. Yeah, walking, walking in a logged compartment is not quite like bushwalking, <laughs> is it? It's a bit trickier. It's not your general walk in the park. No. Let's, I think Tony's found the bottom of this hollow I tree down here. Let's go and have a look at that. Because sometimes you might not notice that there's a hollow in a tree. 
Well, it's very hard, can I state, to notice any kind of hollow or, in fact, koala, you know, arboreal mammal, when you're in a very big machine with the radio blasting. These machines have, you know, um, their cabins that only really have the windscreen and two small windows on either side. So, yeah, it is tricky to notice these things. This all, that's an introduced. Yeah, there's heaps of it. Um, and that would have come in on the bulldozers. Tracks. Oh, now here we go. Um, Tone or anyone, do you want to describe this stump? Well, Obviously like a, a habitat tree. Looks like a big brown barrel stump or a big brown barrel pastigata tree used to live there. That's the top of it over there, lying along the track over there, and there's another section of it, the bottom bit they didn't take. It would have been a habitat tree for sure, because we can see a couple of hollows left in the stump. Oh, uh, it been... was a um, habitat tree. Might I even suggest it was a stag? A stag, so it's possibly a dead tree. What's the significance of a stag? What, what is a stag and the significance of it? Well, stag, yeah, is a dead standing tree. Significance is that they're providing a lot of habitat because generally they're full of hollows and got lots of space inside for the hollow dependent species to lurk around in. Mm, and this is really rotten in the bottom of this, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. You've got some strange sort of fungus layers inside the middle of the tree. Yeah, and it's about 10 centimetres or so around the outside of the stump that's actually uh, actually decent wood. How far up do you reckon that rot would go? <laughs> Was there much point chopping it down? Yeah. Not really. Especially seeing the uh, hollow near the base of the tree, which would have shown that it was poor timber, hollow, a hollow tree. So mainly for um, habitat, birds of prey. Given what I've just seen, that it was a stag. Mm. And of course, you're not allowed to remove dead standing trees. It's been a key threatening process since 2006 or seven. Yeah, key threatening process. So um, they're not allowed to cut down stags, dead standing trees, their homes, poor things. The size of those buttress roots, it would look to be maybe 200, 300 years old. Yeah, mm -hmm. probably. Yeah. yeah, and they've only had to cut sort of 10 centimetres on, on two sides of that thing before it fell over of its own accord. Yeah. And then they've left, you know, obviously they've left the whole, most of the trunk there. How much of that do you reckon they would have taken away, looking at the position of it on the ground? None. Well, like, well, yeah, maybe none, maybe about five metres. Maybe, maybe not taking any of it at all, yeah. Maybe they got a middle bit. They like maybe got a middle bit. Because see the size of this stump, then compare it to the bottom of that. So we've got the size of this stump, and you can see that matches, that tiny bottom bit. Mm -hmm. Then you've got this next bit here, which I reckon possibly it's, judging by the cut on here, I think that's it's matching trunk hmm. so you can see that distance between Tom and the trunk oh that's probably not five meters that's probably what four something one two four meters they've taken out of it you can see how it's fallen you can see the bulldozer tracks to it 
we've come across another stag which has just fallen over. It's yeah, got its roots, roots dangling in the air. It might have been helped, I would suggest. Well, should we? If it, uh, if it had been pushed, you'd be able to see marks on it, wouldn't you? You possibly would be able to see some marks on mm-hmm. it, yes. Go and have a look, eh? Let's go and have a little look. Ah, oh, yeah. Standing on top of the big log, there is a bit of a... Uh, Oh, there's a couple of big chunks out of it right here. Yeah. Might take a photo of them. At about blade height. At about Roughly bulldozer blade height, yeah, which is sort of a metre off the ground or so. Yeah. Where the ground would have been. Would have been declared unsafe. No, oh, well, sorry, I hate to contradict you on this, love, but it would have been done so that they could get to that tree that they wanted to log. Oh, and that one and that one. reached them on it, they say it was done because it was unsafe. Yeah, it was unsafe to log that tree if he's still standing here, so that would get rid of it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, now we're, we're wandering up the tree looking for scratch marks. Have you found anything, Tom? Uh, not really. It's harder to look for scratch marks on a dead tree because, yeah. of course, obviously they're dead and um, they don't, you know, don't leave big gouges. You're better off looking there, there for... There are interesting marks, but it's not really a pattern. So what are you looking for in a scratch? How would you tell a scratch from like a, a uh, I don't know, some other sort of scratch? Well, you, <laughs> V notches can say yellow belly glider. We, we do have these little notches in here, which, but because it's dead, a yellow belly glider wouldn't have stuck the sap. True. But, you know, it'll be interesting to find a hollow because this is one of the things that we do. We find the hollows and then get the scats out. And that's one way of telling what was living in there at the time. Anything could have been living in here, bats. There was a rare bat found in this state forest. Um, can't remember the name of it now, but amazing micro bat. So, you know, bats could have been living in here. Owls, anything, any arboreal mammal. Yellow belly gliders. Yellow belly, sugar gliders. Feather tails, greater gliders maybe. I'm, I'm a bit loath because there are these things called tree funnel webs, so I'm a bit loath to stick my bare hand in there. So I'll find a, a hollow. Better to find a split trunk. Do they do they get in trouble for these breaches? Uh well, they they have received some warning letters, um, and um, there has been three fines um, on the south coast since 1998. Um, the fires there was two fines last year one was for a, a water breach an EPL uh, it's a pollution license breach they logged a creek and then there was a bad you know rain and the, the dirt went into the Jewel River which is water supply for Maruya so they got a $1,200 fine for that but in cases like where they they logged map to old growth which is their mapping uh, not ours we can state you know we believe this forest is old growth and hasn't been logged it's high conservation value um and so but you know that's just an obviously an allegation this is their mappage of old growth that must not be logged and they logged that last year in yambla because the gps batteries ran out and that they received a stern warning letter for that um and a stern talking to and that the state forest officer must carry spare batteries right so how 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 long would it take them to log how much forest was it was quite quite a bit of forest. It doesn't take them very long because gone are the days of the you know the two old guys with their crosscut saw or 
even one guy with a chainsaw, gone of those days. We've got, uh, you know, at least two mechanical harvesters. They're big machines. They've got a grabber. They grab hold of the tree. They cut the tree. They drop the tree. They strip the bark off. And then the snigger drags it to the log dump. They can probably knock over a compartment in, in a month or so, maybe two months. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at these tracks in the mud here underneath us, and they're sort of there's holes in there and and, and uh, puddles that are about a metre deep, and well the tracks are roughly three metres apart. So that big machine, eh? They're, they're pretty big machines. Um, well, they have to be those, particularly in compartments like this where um, the trees are quite big. There's would have been some old growth here, and you can see there's pretty big trees. So they need big machines to do that. Yep. Now, what's the purpose of these photos that you're taking? Okay, so we take photos of the breaches we find. Um, we write up a report with the GPS coordinates, which is um, you know, where the breach is located, and in that report, and then send it to now. Oh, have you heard about? Oh, no, I haven't heard of. Oh, okay. Well, it used to be Dec, then it was Dequa, and now it's. Oh. oh, Office of Environment and Heritage. It's what's happened to our New South Wales <laughs> Department of Environment. I think that should be. It's been it's been brought under the wing of uh, the Premier um, Barry O'Farrell, and it's in the Premier's department. Oh, so it's the Office of Environment and Heritage in the Premier's department. So we. You know, we finalised the report with the um, the actual breach and the clause of the integrated forestry operations approvals that we believe the breach falls under, and we send that to. Oh. Oh. Hmm. So before you come on an expedition like this, you'd have to um, you'd have to look up, I guess the uh, the Forestry Act was it, and get sort of familiar with the rules and regulations. Yeah. Um, Forestry law is very interesting. There's, you know, more than any other law, I believe, um, has quite a few very interesting quacks. And so we've got, originally, in New South Wales, we had the Forestry Act, 1916. And then that was supplemented in 1998 by the Forestry and National Park Estate Act. And that enabled the integrated forestry operations approvals. But you can't have IFOAs unless you have a regional forest agreement. So we have regional forest agreements, which are agreements between the Commonwealth, Canberra, and the states. And they have you know, certain obligations they have to follow under them. Then we have forest agreements, which are agreements between the three ministers, the Minister for... Um, planning, the Minister for the Environment and the Minister for Forestry. But really, if you want to cut it down, you know, unpack it, it's really the integrated forestry operations approvals that they log under. So if you want to get a copy of that and have a look at those regulations. Now, unfortunately, um, there's not a lot of musts or shoulds or shalls. What's the, uh, what's the significance of that in legalese? In legalese, uh, must not means what obviously must not right <laughs> must means obviously a course of action that you have to do something you're forced to do it because of this legislation 
there's not a lot of that in the integrated forestry approvals. It's usually wherever practicable. Ah. Uh. Ah. Uh, so um, they will say things like this was, you know, we really tried to do the right thing, but we had to do this thing and that's why it became a breach. Well, yes, we, that's we right. had to... We're sitting on one right now, right? You know, we would have loved to have kept this stag, only it was dangerous. And they've used that argument a few times with, oh, you know, we've, we found habitat trees with marked H's on them that have been cut. And um, because we found them, then they suddenly turn around and say, oh, well, yes, it was a dangerous tree. Look, none of this would... Look, it wouldn't matter if they, they breached... Um, in so much as, you know, someone could regulate it or the people ourselves could enforce the regulations if no one else did. But unfortunately what happened in 1998 was they inserted three clauses in the Forestry National Park Estate Act that made them exempt from any form of environmental protective legislation which was, you know, all, all the, you know, the acts, the, even the EPBCA, the Environment Protection and Biodiversity Conservation Act, the Commonwealth Act. So Forest New South Wales and their authorised contractors are exempt from any of those acts. And the reasoning was, oh, well, they've got all these regulations and that's going to protect the forest. But what the industry pushed for and got was another clause in there, Section 40, that says... No citizen can take Forest New South Wales or their authorised contractors to court for a breach of any act or any regulation if the area is covered under IFOA. So basically they've been operating however they want since 1998 with no recourse. And quite often that's how, you know, law has been furthered, particularly forest law has furthered the law in New South Wales and, of course, over Australia um, for a whole lot of different precedents. But uh, Forest New South Wales has not been taken to court since 1998. And that's why, because you can't, you're not allowed to. Right, right. I presume you're, you're sort of following up alongside other... Um, other sort of watchdog regulators who are employed by Forestry New South Wales to sort of audit the, uh, the compartments that have been logged? There are no watchdog regulators. There's none at all? No. Forest uh, New South Wales must ensure that their authorised contractors, this is one of the very few musts in the IFOA, must ensure that their authorised contractors comply with the licences and their regulations. Right, so they must employ someone to come and have a look? No. They have state forest officers that hang out with the loggers and they mark up the trees, as you can see. Some, in some, we've been to some compartments that have no marking up whatsoever. But having said that, in this particular compartment, they've marked up some trees. So the Forest New South Wales officer does that, marks up the trees and allegedly marks up the boundaries to say where they can and can't log. And that's why if we find a rocky outcrop that has not got an exclusion zone, then that's Forest New South Wales' responsibility. That's a mark-up issue. Right, but you can't take them to court to enforce. No. no. Hmm. Would a company be able to take them to court? You no. Said citizens can't. No. Nobody can. Nobody can. The only person who can enforce the law is the minister or the department. Right. It used to be the EPA in 1998, but of course the EPA has almost been forced out of existence now. Okay, well, I think we'll move along and mm. see what else we can find. Mm.
Right, so we're now in another uh, another section of the same compartment. We've driven down the road a bit. There's uh, an awful lot more logs around here. Yeah, so there's there's whole logs here, about 20 of them in one pile, then a, a scattered mob up to another pile of five or ten up there. So there's, there's heaps of logs here, and they're all burnt. So, because they're burnt, does that mean that they're not going to come back and use these at all? No, they're not coming back to use these. No, this is it. And you can see that, oh, just over there, like, there's those big rocks there. It stretches oh, yeah. all the way along there down to, you know, basically, I don't know, easily 100 metres that way. But they've driven a road through that part of it and through this part of it. You can see the rocks over there. Yeah, right through the middle. Yeah, so we can't, we could not, you know, we could allege that it was a rocky outcrop. But uh, now, you know, after driving, having driven through through it, uh, we sort of can't because we, you know, can't prove that it definitely was one, you know. But you can see how many rocks are around here and how much granite crushed underneath the foot. So, but you know, it's too late now. It's been logged and burnt, really. Yeah, uh, it's sort of been cooked, hasn't it? Yeah, I've done. So, wow, this is even, uh, even a bit more devastation than the last one, isn't it? I get really steel, just like those nurses that work in the war zone. And people say, and quite often we get, we South East Forest Rescue get contacted by the community saying, have you seen what they've done in Blah Forest? And so we go there and I look at it and go, yeah, that's logging, that's what they do. We've got a Tasmanian logging crew logging the foothills of Gulliga Mountain at the moment. Um, and a friend rang up in tears saying, you know, we've got a new scenic look out at Naruma, we can see down to Wagonga Inlet and Montague Island and you know I kind of had to say well yep yep we'll come out we'll do a breach report but that's just what they do that's how they log so what we're walking on is like a, a, a network of a network of tracks going all the way through the bush yeah, and there's a snig tracks, snig tracks and uh, without laughing what's a snigger <laughs> it's a big bulldozer that pushes everything in its path out of the way and then on the back of it it's got a grabber and it grabs hold of the logs and drags the logs once they've been cut up to the log dump. Right, so uh, the log dump, is that that big cleared area up yeah. near the road? Yeah. So we're walking down a crushed granite snig track. Now there are reserves that they're supposed to reserve, there's zones they're not allowed to log. Um, but, you know, for some reason or another, they're allowed to drive snig tracks through them. And, oh, oopsie, well, we might as well just get that tree while we're here. Yeah, that must be a rocky outcrop there on the right, eh? Well, all of this would have been... You can see by the granite crushed under my feet, right? So we're standing on the snig track. Well, we're standing on, on piles right, of rocks, aren't we? Huge boulders. On my left are huge boulders, and the road's been driven through it. So, yeah, yet again, this would be, you know, this would be a big enough to have been classed as a rocky outcrop under their definitions. Um, mm, and here, the, the snig track is the, the border of the, the burn itself. And what can you see on the left? Um, obviously, there must be an FMZ. In, I haven't looked at this harvest plan, so, but it looks to me like that is probably a, a reserve, an FMZ, which they've incurred into. Um, but even so, they haven't logged right up into it, so... That must have been, they must have been not allowed to absolutely well, apart from those little bits there and that bit down there. And the one up there. Yeah. For some reason they haven't logged that bit. Um, possibly because the boulders are quite big and they, but then again, they could have just pushed them over. So I don't know why, I have to look at the house plan. But you can see there's pig tape down here. 
which tells me that is the boundary of the compartment because that's how they mark up the boundary and yet they've driven right through and into it so i don't know i'd have to look at the harvest band. um maybe they did mark up this rocky outcrop anyway i'll take a photo of it because then they can blame shift forest and stuff can say oh yes we marked it up but obviously the loggers didn't notice the bright pink fluoro tape. It is quite hard to notice tape when you're in a big machine. It is, yeah, but there's, uh, yeah, there's stumps all through the rocky outcrop. Uh, the only thing left standing is probably about, oh, about 20 to 30 centimetres across mm. down the bottom. And uh, yeah, it's all been burnt. Mm. They've gotten some big trees out of here, I know. Because basically, like if, if the compartment has been logged before, whether it was 20 years ago or 80 years ago, it was a very different kind of industry. Now the machines can get into places that they couldn't get into before, really. Like, well, more so dragging the logs back up. They're much more powerful. So what, you know, might have saved this compartment last time it was logged, if it was ever logged, you know, the gullies sort of saved it. Now they've got the machines to get in and um, get the logs out. Here's another big habitat tree that's had the fire go inside it. But the fire in this part of the compartment's been much more, uh, much larger scale, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, they've torched it. There's no, uh, no undergrowth, undergrowth left untouched, really. No. No, they've torched this compartment, which makes me wonder what have they hidden. And particularly the big berms as you come in always signify to me to me, it's criminal behaviour. To me, this is criminal. To continue to log forests, particularly with what we know about climate change, is criminal. To further and exacerbate climate change and the effects of it is criminal. However, they have the laws and the rules that they have to log under, and um, quite often they don't. And usually a signifier of that is big berms, so you can't get into the compartment. What, what's a berm? Oh, big humps. They mound up. Um, the roads in huge mounds, you can see one here. There's no way with rocks and boulders and oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, and sticks poking out of it. Even a Forby would not get over that. And so that to me says if I follow this road down, I will find a very big beach. Some of it's still smouldering. Watch out, buddy, dead. Well, <laughs> standing on a Standing on a, a bit of burning wood there. Not the best plan. So just looking around, how, how big do you reckon this uh, this logging compartment is? As far as I can see, all the way around, 360 degrees, I can see the tops of trees fairly freshly lying around. Yeah, it's a couple of, couple of hundred hectares. Couple of hundred hectares, right. Hmm. I've got the harvest plan here in the computer, I can look exactly, but yeah, roughly. So yeah, that's quite a big area that they practice this 50% canopy removal in and drive their machinery all over in an effort to get these wood chip logs out of here. And how, uh, how many of these would they do in a year? Oh, uh, well, a good, a good 20 or so, 
I think 20 to 30 would be the sort of average per year. And is that for the whole of the state forest operation or just for one crew? I'm sort of thinking for this southern region, because then you could look at the Eden region, they go through their compartments are a lot split up into coops, so they're a bit smaller, so they go through them a lot quicker. And um, yeah, so they'd be doing like 60, 70 different coops per year. Without knowing exactly. And quite often, if they do make incursions into their boundaries, like, oh, I don't know, they logged 100 hectares of Kosciuszko National Park in 2006. Sorry, they a lot of they, people don't understand. They that. logged a national park. Oh yeah, oopsie. Um, a lot of people don't understand that the southern region is, which is what Forest New South Wales are logging under here, extends from Nowra out to Tumut and down to the Victoria New South Wales border. Quite a large, large area. So, uh, what sort of difference would there be between, say, before the '60s and after the '60s in the in the whole industry? Oh, well, the wood chipping industry. That's, right. that's what happened. Um, basically, you know, it was instead of being a saw log um, industry, it, it turned into a wood chipping industry. Right, and what's the difference between the two? Well, one's, one's um, you know, you get logs out to use as uh, wood for houses and building materials and all sorts of things. Um, and now they get the wood out to go to the chip mill and every anything that doesn't go to the chip mill if in fact say one load out of you know 12 loads or something or 15 loads goes to a sawmill out of that they would only use 50 or so percent of it anyway and the rest get chipped and what it gets used for is um tomato steaks fence palings you know rarely fence palings more like tomato steaks chocks that go under bits of metal for bhp well, it's fairly rare to see hardwood in building in new buildings these days. Well, you don't need to. I mean, there's there's um, hemp concrete. There's black bamboo's got, got a big run on at the moment. I heard. Uh, well, you can see the sneak track's gone into that. Possibly if we had more time, we'd follow that along and find out what they did further in there. Maybe we should. Let's go have a look. Yeah, this is, as you can see by the size of those boulders, you know, this is the one that I pointed out too from the other side. So you can see the whole thing stretches along the ridge. If that sneak track hadn't have been there, that's, you know, that's a large rocky outcrop. And that should have had a 40 metre exclusion zone. In other words, they weren't even allowed to go within 40 metres of it. But when oh you well. say go within, is that with their sneak machine? Or? Sneak machine, harvest the machine. They're not allowed to log it in any way or bulldoze it. That's the full 40 metre exclusion zone, let alone the rocky outcrop. So here there's just a, a sea of crushed undergrowth underneath us. Well this is what I'm thinking, I'm thinking this might have been an FMZ, a forestry, you know, an area that they were supposed to have reserved and then they've just driven this snig track through. I might take a photo of it. Without having the harvest plan with me, um, I can't be 100% certain, but certainly that's what it looks like to me. Because you can see they haven't logged either side of it, but they've taken... You do have to watch your footing, yeah. Uh, a fun tumble. Oh yeah, it's not like bushwalking. 
It's not. It's pretty easy to go over in here. So is this a uh, little bit more of this rocky outcrop? Is it? Oh yeah. Well, they're pretty impressive, those boulders. Right there, yeah. I would say that it's pretty hard not to understand that that's a rocky outcrop. That's huge. We've seen some small ones in this compartment so far, but, you know, this is a big one. Yeah, you can see the trees growing beside them. One of them suckered like a big suction cup onto the rock. Yeah, and see the moss? Like, so it's quite recent, this logging, so you can see... It's not completely dried out yet, it's not dead. So you can see where the moss is, but obviously with the canopy open now. Um, luckily the saving grace of this one is that um, they're about 30 metre high boulders. So they couldn't get over them and they're probably too big to push over. So they've sort of saved themselves in some ways, but the rest of the rocky outcrop on the outside of it's gone. Yeah, but see, it even stretches on this side of the stink track too, so it goes along this ridge. Yeah, well, you can see these rocks are continuing up as we go. Yeah. And they've all got tops of trees all through them. People can check out our... Oh, we've got a Flickr site. And Southeast Forest Rescue on Flickr. Well, there's a habitat tree marked right on top of the uh, rocky boulders there. Come back a bit, you can see it up through there. Oh yeah, look at that. Yeah, well, they kind of got their marking up wrong, didn't they? Because in theory, you know, an exclusion zone is an exclusion zone. You just don't mark up a few habitat trees and then let them log the rest, which they've done. They've just got to stop. If they, if they can't follow the rules, which is so simple and pretty basic, there's not many musts. If they can't follow those, you know, they've been given 10 years. The experiment obviously hasn't worked. I just gotta stop. This is the N native forest logging on public land. That's it. That's my line. It's quite deep, isn't it? The rut. Yeah. What a rut. You can see the erosion starting in there. Yeah, yeah. What's this? Got a wombat track in the mud. Wombats don't have any prescriptions. They have prescriptions in their IFOA. There are certain species that they, you know have to leave a five metre zone around a tree for. Yeah. As is the southern brown bandicoot. As is the, you know, heaps of endangered or threatened or vulnerable species. This guy starts, I would say, I'd state, this rocky outcrop starts here, at that end there, where they've driven through there. It was huge. Yeah. Big, it's the whole top of a hill, isn't it? Yeah, basically. On the right, there's a couple of areas where the gap in the canopy would be at least as big as a, a footy field, I reckon. Probably more. They say they only log 50% of the canopy, but some of them are 70% of the canopy. Sometimes they only leave a 50% visual protection zone. What's, uh, what's that? Oh, that's the side of the road, so they don't, they don't want you to see what they've actually done. So they, you know, keep the trees on the side of the road and you walk in 100 metres and it's clear field, or patch clear field. Here we are, we're still going around this same rocky outcrop. <laughs> now, they can't not know that there's a regulation that they're not allowed to do it, right? Because there's been truckloads of stuff in the media. National, federal and state media and local media. Uh, we've been running about rocky outcrops. 
don't do it. Rocky outcrops are also important and significant Aboriginal areas. Many of them, not all, but many of them are quite significant Aboriginal areas. You know, as well as being, you know, flora and fauna and um, the environment. is also an Aboriginal issue, as far as I'm concerned. Um, and that's a whole fight at the moment with Forest New South Wales. They think they can just go in and, and log. And they say to Aboriginal people, Oh, well, you better tell us where those sites are. But we're going to log anyway. We'll log them. So they bully people into revealing where sacred sites are. When in fact, I believe, people could say, no, we're not logging it. Well, what does CH stand for, you think? CH? I don't know. Well, I... Cultural heritage! That's what he's decided. It's an old stump. Back in the old days, we've put some notches in it. So we're going to keep that. That's our cultural heritage for loggers. Right, but what we've got is a uh, stump about four metres high and about every metre and a half in it, there's a notch where uh, you might see in the very old black and white photos of loggers, they, they stick a board in there and jump up on that and hack another hole and stick a board in that and then they get up to where they can cut it off without having to having to use the bottom of the tree up to the straight bit, I guess. So they keep that and then log the rocky outcrop. Mm. What is wrong with this picture? It's a very nice stump. It is a nice stump. It has a certain je ne sais quoi. Well, you get a nice black and white photo of it. Oh, uh, yep. Oh, this is going to be hard. This, this looks uh, pretty there. difficult to get across this bit. It's all about two or three metres high, just the tops of trees, all one on top of the other. Well, all, in the, all in the direction we want to go. Well, we've got to go that way. Back up there. There might be a way through over there, I think. Might, might okay. Let's try it. Oh, it's pretty clear after this. Now, what do you found here, Lisa, on this, uh, on this roof? Oh, that's a scat. Oh, gosh. Koala. Koala, too many seeds, possum, more than a possum, look at the seeds, I'll take it, note this location, because yeah I'm not quite sure, to be honest, who's good at scats? Some seed eating bird type guy, maybe? it's a bit big for a bird, it doesn't have any, wombat, is it? no. not a wombat, got bugs in it. Beetles. Seeds. Lizard, lizard, if it eats a lot That's of beetles. That's a big lizard though. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, would be, there would be big lizards here. Oh, look at this. Beetles and seeds. There would be yeah. um, monitor lizards and things. Yeah, yeah, there would be. Is this what lizard scat looks like? Cause I don't know mm. what I lizard scat looks, looks like. like. It looks exactly like no. we picked up, Mum. But it's chocked full of beetles and seeds. Yeah, yeah. Birds. Well, I'll look it up in my scat book. Can you? Yeah, it's in the back of the ute. That'd be really helpful. Yes. Yay. Do you have a poop book? <laughs> I yeah. do. Yeah, cool. I like poop. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I have a book. That's why we're ecologists. Yes. Yeah, we're back at camp. Uh, what are you up to here? You've got the laptop out. 
Yeah, I was, well, I was just going to utilise the information that we gathered in that inspection and draft up a breach report to send into the regulators mm-hmm. and let them take it from there. So I was just sort of collating my notes and seeing on the map where we corresponded to and things like that at this stage. Yeah, so you've got a, a little contour map there with some, some nice colours on it. Yeah, this is the harvest plan map that Forestry made prior to logging. Uh, we were um, walking around in here, this section. And then we went up to the next one where it was all burnt. That one there, where, yeah, all burnt around there. Yeah. And that rocky outcrop must have been going down that way or something. That's probably it in blue. Yeah, well, no, that's a wetland. It's a wetland. Oh, yeah. It wasn't a wetland, no. Yeah, wetland with a 20 metre buffer. Okay. Yeah. And it doesn't mention any rocky terrain at all on the harvest. Yeah, page, unless this was the second bit we went in. This road. And that is the rocky outcrop there. Because it was on the top of a knoll. Knoll, yeah. Yeah, I think they've changed their roading. Mm. Topography. And there's the little creek down the back, yep. Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah that hasn't been excluded so really. There. No, right. Um, so you're saying there's wetland there? It's a little bit away from the knoll, but when yeah. When we came around the back it, on the and we're starting to come back, it would have been on our right. So um, what do you do with these? Like, yeah, I just took um, an extract of the harvest plan map, stuck it over here, so then I could sort of um, draw on it where we were, that red texture. Alright, so we just draw a line around where we'd walked. So we surveyed that area so each yep. day. Yep. And then, so I can use that map to show the regulators where we were, mm-hmm. so it gives them a better feel, even though I've got lots of GPS points written down for specifics. They know where to go easier. Yeah. Gives them a feel. So you compile the information that you get. Right, so this is one we did um, last month, oh, a couple of months ago now, for the Bedala compartment. So your report's very, got very photographs and maps and a, a brief description of um, of what you found in there. Yeah. So what happens to this report once you've finished it? Um. Oh uh, yeah, it goes to deck, and then um. Who's deck? No, well they're not deck any longer. They're the Office of Environment and Heritage, and they're the ones who have control of um, regulating Forest New South Wales or the, any sort of public or private logging. Oh, so you've been lobbying Bono? Yeah, yeah, Lisa, <laughs> Lisa loves sending letters off. <laughs> Barack Obama, I think Oprah, she sent one too as well yeah, when not? she was, came to town. <laughs> so yeah, we sent our breach report off and then we get back a Usually we get this reply first off. <laughs> Thank you for your email received by blah blah on blah blah regarding forestry operations in compartment blah. We've received the information and we're considering it in the context of our ongoing regulatory work. Yeah. So we get one of them and then we won't hear about it for ages after that. What they've actually done about it. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. They're not even that upfront in coming in telling us, yeah, well, we gave them a fine for that one. And, but they do send back a letter eventually saying, yeah, okay, we went and ordered it and we found this, this and this and we didn't find what you said here and here and here and whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's quite a closed shop really because they don't, and I've pressed them for it, they don't release any 
public reports on their auditing of forestry of the state. They just don't. I would ask them that, yeah. mm, can't you get something like that out of uh, freedom of information or something? Well, yeah. Yeah, if we had an unlimited capital resource that could pay for it all, sure. There'd be heaps of applications to be making for information. Yeah. So if anyone wants to help out with green policing, because, uh, of course, uh, keeping an eye out on the forest is uh, a nice option for those people who uh, are not into the uh, confrontational sort of blockade style of things. Um, We need more people doing it because it's a big area and we're not many people. So the more people who can read and understand the the licenses and the integrated forestry operations approval which contains the licenses that's then, just a basic legal document yeah saying what they can and can't do and then you don't need much gear like you need just a gps and a camera is sufficient but if you want to get a bit more high tech like we've got a range finder that can tell you distances of points which is quite useful for if you want to measure the size of a rocky outcrop or distance from the edge of the filter strip to the to you know closest erosion area, that's handy. But otherwise, you can get away without it. Yeah, you can but, always step it out. <laughs> and sort of once you've once you've read once you've sort of had a good look at the licenses and the IFOA, then concentrate on things that are easier for the regulators to pin them on ones that say must and you know, that have strong onus on forestry to do it, do the right thing then that's a lot easier for them to go for a harder punishment because there's so much grey wording and wherever practicable in the regulations that that's why they get away with what they do they can wheedle their way out of it so if people wanted to get in touch with you to uh, to help out, how would they do go about that? Yeah, just um, check out the Lisa and Tony website or the Southeast Forest Rescue MySpace, or um, yeah, and give us a call through those ways. I think is the easiest way. Yeah. Right. No worries. Well, thanks very much. Rockin'. <laughs> You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short, the New Economy Network of Australia, or NINA, and radio behind the lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative Commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons, and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer-run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com. 
and see 2XXFM.org.au where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au That's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A dot org dot A-U Or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up LiberaPay. L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there you can find out about all my other projects and donate to help create a new appropriate economy. Thanks.